This week's episode of the Fun V Tailgate Podcast on the Bullpen Cart Podcast feed is brought to you by our friends at Schneckbook. What's going on, guys? It is Jordy Cannell here getting you ready for the NFC and AFC Championship Weekend in the NFL. It is just myself as we had some scheduling snafus trying to get Matty D and Greg back on, but I am here to get you ready with all the key matchups, some betting picks, do a little hockey talk, a little Astros sign-stealing talk, had a few other things too, Survivor Season 40, the Oscars, a lot of fun, a little bit different of a show, solo pod, so let me know what you guys think in the comments. As always though, make sure that you like, share, and subscribe to the podcast, search The Bullpen Cart on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter, ThunderBLG is the handle there, Thunderbox Sports on Facebook and Instagram. But enjoy this week's episode, guys. Enjoy the long weekend and all the games. And here we go. Welcome to this episode of the podcast, the Fun V Tailgate here on the Bullpen Card Podcast feed. I, of course, am the G-Man. Welcome back, guys. Second episode of 2018. I know it has been a couple weeks. I apologize. I came down with the seasonal flu, cold, whatever you want to call it, last week after celebrating Maddie D's wedding. And it was pretty tough to shake. I actually ended up having to see an ear, nose, throat specialist earlier this week. I've been coughing up a lung and finally feel like I have it under control. So it took a week off from podcasting. I know I said I was going to try to get the Sunday night golf stuff uh, underway. Greg actually called me out on it after I didn't do it after the crazy tournament of champions ending from a couple weeks ago where Patrick Reed lost on a playoff hole. And then last week, the Sony Open ended up being even crazier with all this different stuff on the 72nd hole. And Brandon Steele ends up blowing that. So hopefully this week with the American Express, we'll get that underway. It is Martin Luther King weekend. So maybe that'll come out on Monday. But it's also championship weekend for the NFL, and that's where we come in here with the Fun V Tailgate. It is just myself, a little bit of a scheduling snafu. Greg was pretty busy with work. Matty D is at pretty much every game. He's was at the Sixers game last night. He's at the Flyers game right now. They're tied 1-1 at the first period with the Canadians. Uh, so he was unavailable, and uh, so it's just me. You know, I, I know some people really like the solo pod, so I hope you guys enjoy this one. I'm glad to be back talking to you guys. I hope you guys are happy to have me back. But we haven't really gotten a chance to check in since the Eagles lost. It was a big bummer. You know, I was there, and that certainly probably didn't help with uh, my health and probably why I caught the whatever cold I had. But, you know, it was a bummer. And then, uh, but we don't need to cover that. We will just jump right into a quick recap of last weekend with everything. Um, you know, the Chiefs' incredible comeback and then blowout win against the Texans after the Texans go up 24-0. The Chiefs on Sunday afternoon end up looking completely unstoppable in the second quarter and ride that all the way. And of course, Saturday night was the upset of the playoffs so far. At first, you thought it was the Titans beating the Patriots, and then they upset the Baltimore Ravens 28-12. Derrick Henry looks like an unstoppable wrecking ball. This is something we talked about going into the playoffs. 
what was he going to look like, and it's been fun to see. He has been an absolute machine. Ryan Tannehill doesn't even really need to throw the ball. He throws it less than 20 times, and the the Ravens end up coming up with nothing. Lamar throws two picks. He can't really get a ton going, despite the fact that he had a combined 500 yards, 365 in the air, 143 on the ground, and he only gets one touchdown out of it. And, you know, the Tennessee defense that came with a with a game plan, they made the, the Ravens try to beat them a number of different ways, and they couldn't, you know, and the Ravens couldn't stop Derrick Henry. So we'll see what's going to happen this weekend. This is something that you talked about with Kansas City and thinking that their defense can be suspect at times. The over-under set at 53 Tennessee's coming in a seven-point road dog, um, and this is something we've been th- we've thought about the Kansas City defense of whether or not they can stop the run and how f- effective can they be there. Now, the thing that that they have over you know a number of different possible opponents that have good running backs is the Tennessee Titans have not really had to rely on their passing game too much. Now, A.J. Brown hasn't gotten a ton of play in the playoffs yet. Jonu Smith, he's had you know pretty good playoffs, but nothing over the top because Derrick Henry's been so effective. And we're really going to have to see what happens there. I know te- the Kansas City D-backs are banged up a little bit. Um, and then over on the flip side, the Tennessee defense... Has been great. They've been very stingy. They were, did a good job of stopping two very solid quarterbacks. Tom Brady, who you know, his playoff record speaks for itself with six championships. And Lamar Jackson, who will likely be winning the MVP trophy. So we'll see what ends up happening with, with Patrick Mahomes going up against this team. But right now it seems like a complete team of destiny. I mean, especially everything was going wrong in that first quarter for the, for the Chiefs. And they then get a billion things going right for him. Travis Kelsey has the quarter of a lifetime in getting three touchdowns. He goes out for a little bit, comes back in, and still is effective. Their running game, despite the fact that their running backs have not been outstanding. Damian Williams has been so-so in the playoffs. Patrick Mahomes is stretching out plays a lot like what Lamar does uh, and had, had made a name for himself throughout this season. So... It's going to be fun to see how the Tennessee defense lines up against this because I think they have a huge chip on their shoulder, and I think that they really want to make a name for themselves here too. You know, I like that over under 53. I like that number. It, it, I don't know necessarily, and I'll get to it with the NFC, of uh, that the combined over under number would be 99.5 if you were just going total points on the day. And I, I would actually like the over on that because I really like the over on the next game. I like this game to get probably into the, the upper teens for both teams. I think that ten, that uh, the Tennessee defense is, is going to let up some big touchdowns. They're going to stretch the field, Kansas City is. But I think that Kansas City's defense is not going to contain Derrick Henry and that sort of mid-range pass game that Ryan Tannehill could try to get going, whether it is to Jonu Smith, to A.J. Brown, to a number of different guys. I think that they're going to put up some points. So I, 
I don't know necessarily if I would go over 53, but I do like Tennessee plus seven. I think Kansas City ends up getting the win. They're going to go to the Super Bowl. Andy Reid goes back for the first time since 2005, 15 years ago with the Eagles and T.O. and Donovan McNabb. And But I, I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Comparatively, over in the NFC, you have Green Bay traveling to San Francisco. Green Bay, a seven-and-a-half point dog. Coming off this game that ended up being a lot closer with the Seahawks, where it seemed like Green Bay was going to completely blow them out. They let the the Seahawks come back into this thing, end up only winning by oh so many points, and there's the whole Jimmy Graham spot. They end up winning by five points and run out the clock. Um, and, yeah, a lot of people complain about the refs and where that ball ended up. It was tough to see. Ultimately, where where it ended up, I thought it was short. I think they probably still run it there, though, even if they don't get that at third down because they did still have they would have had fourth and short. Um, yeah, and, and I think the result's still probably the same thing, minus a miracle, which of course Aaron Rodgers usually gets. Um, that that was really the big the big talking point because San Francisco really took care of business against a Minnesota team that after an emotional upset over the New Orleans Saints down at the dome. You didn't think Kirk Cousins was going to catch lightning in a bottle twice, and he didn't. San Francisco's defense looked great there after they'd been banged up a little bit. And they're the only team that came off a bye who actually looked like they were completely ready to go, like it was you know, business as usual. And now San Francisco is hosting an NFC Championship game against the Green Bay Packers. Jimmy G looks fairly solid. Their running game is... Slowly but surely figuring itself back. George Kittle still looks incredible there. Debo Samuel capping off an incredible rookie year. I do think this is something... I mentioned it earlier with the over-under total at 99.5. That means this game is 46.5 for the day because 53 is the other game. Uh, I like the over on this game a lot. I think that San Francisco's defense, they're probably the biggest X-factor of how much are they going to show up? What kind of day are we going to see out of them? How much do they contain Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams? I feel like that that if Aaron Rodgers is going to beat him, that's how he's going to do it. He's going to figure out a dynamic way of getting Aaron Jones into the flat and figuring out a way to get those linebackers, focusing on him a little bit and maybe either getting Aaron Jones to have a couple big plays or having them key in on Aaron Jones because he either splits out wide or he swings out and then, boom, hits Devontae Adams, hits Jimmy Graham, who, of course, was the receiver on that controversial spot call. Uh, And he's been getting more and more involved as time has gone on. I do think, on the flip side of everything, without George Kittle's been playing and just where Green Bay's defense has been, I, I don't think it's going to be very close, though. Uh, so I like the over 46.5, but I like San Francisco to cover the 7.5-point spread. I know it's more than a touchdown. There's a reason why it's staying at 7.5 right now. I would not be surprised, though, similarly to Tennessee, who was who opened at a 7.5-point dog, if that moved to a 7-point spread, maybe even 6.5 by the time we get to kickoff at 6.30 on Sunday evening. Um and we find ourselves, you know, at a, at a position of an entertaining game. You know, and I would, I would love to see it be close. I mean, of course, last year we had the overtime games and how much fun those were when we thought potentially, especially with that Saints game that could have, you know, Saints Rams that could have turned into some sort of blowout. 
Obviously, the Rams end up winning with a controversial call. Um, hopefully, we have a day that's like that. I think, especially with a six seed being in there, there's a possibility for it not to be. I do think it's the, the it's either going to be Tennessee keeps it super close or gets completely blown out of the water. And I mean, like, three touchdowns or more. You're taking a break. You take the dog for a walk. You take a little cat nap in between the third, fourth quarter of that game and the start of the NFC Championship game. I'm pretty confident that Tennessee's is uh, going to keep this thing close. But it's I'm not going to you know, be on the, the complete opposite side of thinking that. And with the NFC, it's Aaron Rodgers. I get it. But I, don't, I just don't think he has enough tools to stay at the same pace that the 49ers have. It's out in the, I almost called the Valley, out <laughs> out in the Bay Area. And I think the Niners, I just think they got this thing. And, and I'd love to say it's going to be close, but I just, I don't think, if it was in Green Bay, it'd be a lot different. But, you know, that's why, why the 49ers get home field advantage there. So let me know what you guys think, because I think a KC, San Francisco, obviously it's chalk. I do think if Tennessee finds a way to sneak in there, that would be incredible to see. It would be an incredible story that they knocked off one, the one, two, and three seeds. Um, Green Bay makes it there with the incredible turnaround they've had after firing Mike McCarthy last year, bringing in a new coach. Aaron Rodgers, what can he do with this team? What can he do with these, these different players? That would be an incredible story too. Uh, but I do think... The 49ers have been slowly but surely building up to this. And Kansas City finally figuring it out after halfway through the season. We weren't sure what to think of them. I do think their defense is still a little spotty. So if I had to place any sort of bet, it would be on the odds-on favorite, who are the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, But crazier things have happened. The Titans are in the, the AFC Championship. So we'll see what happens. I'll check in. At the end of the weekend on this, of the uh, Sunday night, possibly Monday night, because it is a holiday weekend wrap-up, uh, and, and we'll go from there. But next up on the schedule, we got to talk about what's going on in Houston. A little baseball talk. Spring training still about a month away till pitchers and catchers report. But the big news of this week has been the fallout of the Astros sign-stealing scandal. For those that are uninitiated, it turned out the Astros had been installing cameras in their trash cans and figured out ways to steal signs at Minute Maid Park. And, you know, this is talked about a little bit in the wake of the World Series when it first came out of their splits in the playoffs between home and away. MLB did their investigation, and it really it really got crazy. And the, the first, they suspend A.J. Hinch, the, the Astros manager, as well as the Astros GM. The Astros immediately turn around and fire both of them. Then it turned out because Alex Cora was a part of the bench, was uh, one of the bench coaches on that on that 2007 2017 World Series team, and that he was a big part of this whole thing where he's putting in monitors and different signs and buzzers to help out with the sign stealing. That he ends up getting fired from the Red Sox. It turned out AJ Hinch was smashing TVs that were a part of this. Carlos Beltran just stepped down from being manager of the Mets without even having managed a single game. This whole thing has turned complete banana lands, but only on the managerial side. There's nothing that's coming out about players, what's going to happen with the different Astros players, and who's going to go where, or or if anything at all is going to happen. It seems almost like 
that all these guys are going to lose their jobs. We're going to see new guys come in in terms of managerial positions. But it does not seem like we're going to see a lot out of players. So that's why you've seen memes like the toy hammer being thrown at the at the Astros and all that sort of stuff. And it's a it's a wild situation because you know there's sometimes that that players are figuring out signs in game, but nothing to this level of complete craziness of banging trash cans, of banging drums, of TVs in the dugout making signals and all this sort of stuff. And weird jokes too that are that were made in press conferences. Go back and look at some of these things that AJ Hinch said in press conferences and stuff like that and it's absolutely insane but if we don't see players get punished i don't think it's the worst thing in the world i know it's you know you got you want to think all this different you know all this different stuff of different crazy scenarios that have happened in sports deflate gate is one that i think of that that I feel like a lot of people, especially on the the Red Sox, who just lost their manager, they're, obviously the Patriots were part of Deflategate, which was also a ridiculous thing of talking about letting the air outside of the confines of parameters for you know PSI in a football, and Tom Brady ultimately ending up getting suspended for four games. It's something like that in, in my mind of, of thinking that both, both ends... It's just kind of crazy. I don't think, though, that if, if players don't end up getting suspended, that it's the worst thing in the world because they're a fun team, that Astro, the, the Astros, and I think that they're going to have a lot a lot on their minds there, so I think that's going to affect them a lot, a lot as well. And, you know, the people that are saying lifetime bans, you got to calm down with that kind of stuff because it's not, it's, it's not life or death here. Um, the other part that I've seen a lot of people are saying that this is a lot worse than what Pete Rose did. I agree on that because Pete Rose was at least betting on his team. Um, especially if you're throwing out lifetime bans where Pete Rose does have that currently. Um, and it seems like now that sports gambling is becoming more legal that Pete Rose could be getting thrown back into the mix. So we'll see what the fallout of all that ends up being. But I had to bring that up. I'm sure Greg and I will talk about it a little bit. I'm sure he's probably going to want to respond to some of this. Let me know what you think in the comments. I, I may, uh, you know, you may disagree with me, and that's totally okay because it's kind of a weird scenario all over the place. But, you know, let me know. Let me know what you think. Uh, next up, going to do a little hockey talk. i got a couple things that I want to talk about here. Um, we're, we've officially reached the halfway mark. Greg and I talked about that on our New Year's Day kickoff show, and we're getting actually close to – Game 50 for many of the teams in the NHL. Everybody has now played their 45th game. So we're more than halfway through. Things are starting to shake out. And lo and behold, we talked about this a little bit at the on the New Year's show, me and Greg, but the Tampa Bay Lightning have found themselves six points back now. They actually have more wins than the Boston Bruins. I... Did not think they were going to go on as meteoric of a rise as they did, but they went on a nine game or a ten game winning streak before finally losing one. They're now back on the uh, on the winning streak after winning Tuesday night, um, and you know they're they're right back in this thing. They've moved ahead of Toronto, who's also been pretty hot since firing Mike Babcock. But this is a team that you figured that they'd figure out. Their goaltending, they get a little healthier at the at the blue line, and their top six would continue to be dominant like they have been in the past. 
And now they are quickly surging in offense. They are tied for second in the Eastern Conference with two other teams. The Washington Capitals, which that needs no explanation why. And the Florida Panthers, who that's a team that you're not really too familiar about. You should go familiarize yourself with them. Greg and I talked about it a little bit. But this is a team who made a lot of moves in the offseason. They've been very banged up, especially at defense and especially at goalie with Sergei Bobrovsky being banged up. they got a guy named Alex Huberto who's been incredible. Um, they have all these different guys, Barkov, Davidov, number of different guys who are incredibly talented, really good offense. Spotty defense, though. They had a really slow start to their year. Uh, they are currently three points out of a playoff spot beyond the Flyers and the Hurricanes for the second wild card spot, who Flyers and Hurricanes are tied right now. Um, and they're only trailing Columbus, who somehow is, is hanging around in this whole scenario at, at 23-16-8, and eight, which ends up being 23-24 because of how the points work in the NHL. But... Yeah, that, that the going back to Tampa, their goaltending has been fantastic. They're becoming quickly one of the better defensive teams too. So this might be something that that turns out the slow start turned out to be the greatest thing ever for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Obviously, they had the incredible regular season last year that fell flat on their faces in the playoffs, getting swept out by the Columbus Blue Jackets. So we'll we'll see where they're going. Islanders are still standing pat. They are still a couple games behind the Capitals. I think that's a lead that, while the Penguins have been super hot, I I just think the Caps are going to are going to continue to heat up. They've caught themselves in a little bit of a of a rut. They're five and five in their last ten games, but this is a team. They still got Ovi. They still got John Carlson. They still got Kuznetsov, who just signed a big ticket. They still got Braden Holpe playing great. They have a great backup goalie. They have great defensemen outside of Carlson. And again, the Penguins are red hot. We'll talk about them in a second. But I, you know, they're the the Caps are something else. I mean, when their offense is clicking, it is fun to watch. And it's one of the better power plays, at least in the Eastern Conference. We can talk about Colorado a little more in a little bit when we move over to the West. But they are fun, and I think something that's that should be mentioned too is that they have one of the best records in the East, along with in the NHL. Uh, actually, they lead the they lead the NHL and wins on the road, but at home they have not been the greatest team, which is shocking because the Capitals are normally an awesome home team. Right now they're fourteen five and four, fourteen and nine in terms of of overall wins and losses, which only five games above. 500 does not seem like Washington Capitals home hockey at the Verizon Center. Uh, I would expect that number to go up, especially with how good the Bruins have been at home, with how good the Penguins have been. Not that that affects how the Capitals play at home, but you would think that this is a team that that holds a lot of pride in how well they have played and how good they've played on the road. I think that might taper off a little bit, but if it stays up, we could see them really run away with the uh, with the Metropolitan Division title. Mention the Penguins. And they've been red hot, and Sidney Crosby has come back, and he has not missed a beat, and he's missed over a quarter of the season. He had four points in his first game back against the Minnesota Wild the other night, and already tonight, they're playing the Bruins up in Boston, and Crosby had a goal to lead this thing off. Uh, the Bruins did retake the lead. It's in the first intermission right now, so we'll see what uh, what goes on with them. 
But even before Sid got back, Tristan Jari had been playing incredible hockey. Malkin's been insane. Latang's been great. So we'll see with where the Penguins go if they stay this hot. They've moved ahead of the Islanders, which I think they're going to remain. I think the Islanders... They're an interesting case because they are very good at home and they've actually started to really score a ton of goals. They've been beating up on the Rangers and a bunch of other teams, but I think the Penguins are probably going to get that two seed out of the Metro. Um, and we'll see who ends up being in the three. Maybe it'll be the Flyers. Right now, I mentioned them. They are tied for the second wild card. They just wrapped up one of their rougher stretches of hockey playing the Capitals, the Bruins, the Lightning. And the Blues out in St. Louis. The other three games are in Philly. Um, and the Flyers went 3-4. and four, And they won a road game in St. Louis. They won it last night on Wednesday Night Hockey on NBC Sports. And this team is really showing a lot of their grit. They've been shuffling around both in the AHL and just within the NHL players of who to try to fit into their bottom six. Depth has been something that's been lacking in Philadelphia for a long time. And they're figuring some stuff out with Bunneman coming up, with Friedman coming up. Morgan Frost has, has been down in the AHL for a couple weeks, and he started to recapture his goal-scoring ability. He had a two-goal game the other night. And, you know, we're going to see what the Flyers do from here because they're playing the, the Canadians right now, and in the second period they're down 3-1 to one to the Canadians, which is not fun. But... It is the back end of a back-to-back, an emotional win against the defending Stanley Cup champions. You had a feeling they probably are going to drop this thing. Did not bet the Flyers to win, bet the over. So hopefully that ends up hitting. But, uh, you know, all things aside, Carter Hart is out for two weeks. He got a little banged up, and, you know, that, that's tough. It's tough to hear Moose. Brian Elliott played incredibly well against his former team in St. Louis. And Alex Lyon is playing for the Flyers tonight. Uh, he obviously come up a couple years ago and it looked fairly solid. But once Carter Hart comes back, maybe he takes a little R&R, and he comes back healthy, both in the mind and and his, you know the lower body injury and everything there. Got to hope that the other injuries, like Shingasa spare, they get figured out and they come back and look great too. But the defenses look fairly solid. At times they've been literally looking like they're on rollerblades on ice and letting guys skate around them. Just like with the Bruins game the other night where the Flyers were down 5-2 and a lot of those goals were not Hart's fault. Um, The defenseman kind of left him out to dry. A couple times the Bruins' power play really took advantage. But the Flyers, you know, they showed their grit. They end up cutting the thing to 5-4 through the second period. The young guys end up getting that fifth goal to tie it up. Then there was the Marshawn skate over after Travis Konechny scored the only shootout goal Marshawn with a great clap back of the guy that tried to chirp him. Marshawn, if you didn't see this, tweets out a picture of him with the Stanley Cup from nine years ago. And a kid goes like, oh, I could touch the puck and shoot out of my beer league. And Marshawn's like, yeah, like, stick the fucking beer league, kid. So good clap back there. But I do think the Flyers are in a position to be buyers, try to get a depth guy. I think that's probably what you want to go for because of the defense, when they really buckle it up they get it going and they they figure out how to mark up their man their their respective men well and i just think you need to get depth really figured out and i know matt and i'll probably talk about this more greg and i'll probably talk about this more so i'll quickly move over to the west 
the Arizona Coyotes have been have been great. The Dallas Stars have been great. Uh, the Avs in a bit of a skid, and that's why I wanted to talk about it a little bit. Losers of four straight, and you know they. I don't know what 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 we need. If this is just that that like we we're talking about with the Capitals, a little bit of a you know mid season growing pains. They've been banged up and they kind of charged through there and and felt healthy or or what have you. But I don't know. They're they're now only a point ahead of the Edmonton Oilers, who you know quietly have been having a very very solid season um, and lead their division, which. It's funny because if you looked at it one through eight, which if you go to the playoff tab on Yahoo, it does that way. Uh, Edmonton is shown as the fifth seed, but they would end up being the two in the West because they're leading their division. Tied with the Calgary Flames, who really, I mean, both of these teams defensively are just, whoa, uh, you know, really tough to watch there. Um, and then the big news from this week coming out of the Pacific, I'm sorry, I'm trying to rush through this just because, you know, Want to move on to a couple other things. But the big news coming out of the West is Vegas firing their coach, Gerard Gallant, and Peter DeBoer taking over as their new head coach. They've been on a skid. They're also the losers of four straight. And four of their last ten, or winners of four of their last ten, um, their defense has really gone downhill, which is something that I think they pride themselves on throughout the first couple years with Flurry. And a, a number of different guys that they picked off that were, you know, maybe thought of as, lo, you know, lower pair guys. And, you know, you, you've all heard the stories of, of how well they did and doing this nobody wants us type of mentality. And that's what rode them all the way to the Stanley Cup two years ago. And I don't know. I, it's kind of a, of a strange firing of seeing this guy out of nowhere get canned. And now Peter DeBoer takes over, pretty experienced guy. And, you know, I mean, a lot of teams who have fired their coaches have have done fairly well in wake of it. We talked about it a little bit with the with the Maple Leafs and a couple other teams. I mean, Jersey isn't doing very well, but I think they were just so much better on paper. Nashville hasn't done too, too much better since firing Peter LaViolette, which is also new since Greg and I last recorded. But... You know, we'll uh, we'll see what ends up going on. Dallas fired their coach. They're then they're red hot and finally living up to some of the expectations we thought for them. One of the best defensive teams in the NHL. But stay tuned. Greg and I will be talking a lot more about the goings on throughout the entire NHL. But the last hockey talk I wanted to give before moving on was that it was announced for the for the skills competition at the NHL All Star Game. There's going to be a women's three-on-three competition between the 10 best from Canada and the 10 best from the U.S., and I could not be more excited. Uh, For those that don't watch women's hockey at the Olympics, you are missing out, and this is your opportunity to get an idea of what's been going on. And it is fun. For one, three-on-three is just a fun... It's it's a fun way to do overtime. The Jake Voracek goal and seeing how that all developed was incredible to see last night in, in the NHL. And this is going to be fun to see how the ladies do it. Um, 
Leading the way are two Berkshire Bears for the, for the U.S. team. I had to brag about that. That is, for those that don't know, that's where Greg and I went to high school. Kendall Coyne Schofield, who was the same class as my sister Mimi, and Casey Bellamy, who's actually a few years older than me and is still one of the elite defense women in the world. So that's incredible to see. Um, but it's going to be a ton of fun. Phil Kessel's sister Amanda, or I shouldn't say it that way, Amanda Kessel, whose brother Phil plays in the NHL. Um, Brianna Decker, who of course last year was the other competitor who was not officially in the passing competition, but actually ended up having the better time. If you remember the hashtag pay Decker, uh, she is in this Kendall coin Schofield. I mentioned her. She went, she was the one who officially competed in the fastest skating um, along with a number of Canadians who you may or may not know their various names. The, the big one you may have heard of is Natalie Spooner um, or maybe Megan Augusta, but it's going to be a ton of fun to watch. And what's really important about all of this is that all of these top women hockey players have been taking the year off in protest along with their union that they formed because the CWHL folded last year, which is the Canadian Women's Hockey League, pro league that's been around for a while and seemed like it was well-established. Uh, it folded kind of out of nowhere, and a, you know, a number of women were playing in the CWHL. Others were playing in the U.S.-based NWHL, which is still going on right now, but over 300 women have decided to take a year off from professional hockey in protest to trying to get a more stable league they're really trying to get the nhl to be a part of this similar to how the wnba some of the the respective cities teams also have a have a stake they pump some money into their wnba team they're trying to get that with the nhl and their respective teams it seemed like it almost was going to happen it also seemed like that the wn the nwhl was going to absorb to the cwhl teams so or WCHL, uh, I'm sorry, the acronyms, I throw the acronyms off, but it didn't end up happening and everything, and now we have this moment where the NHL is bringing these women in. Hopefully this is the first sign to a really awesome opportunity for women's hockey. So if you're, if next Friday you're looking for something to check out, definitely watch this. The skills competition is just fun anyway. It was a ton of fun last year seeing Kendall get the pl- Get to skate through it and seeing a competitive matchup is going to be a lot of fun out in St. Louis. So that's Hockey Talk. I wanted to do a quick b-ball talk, um, mainly on the Sixers and how crazy they've been recently with their you know, ups and downs and not being able to play on the road. I thought the Flyers were bad on the road, but the Sixers are even worse. Um, but the you know basketball this year has been... A lot more wide open, and I, that, that's at least fun for, for me to see. You know, we talked about the process and everything on the, the year-end pod, and Sixers right now currently sitting in the sixth spot, which, similar to a couple years ago, where, you know, the first full year of Embiid Simmons, obviously Joel Embiid had his finger injury a couple weeks ago, so we're hoping he comes back soon, and he's been cleared for non-contact, and will be reevaluated in a week, that came out today. Uh, the Celtics have been really good, which not a lot of teams thought that not a lot of people thought they could how that they would be this high up in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, people we here in Philadelphia thought the Sixers would be way better than they are. The Bucks are incredible. Giannis is fun, but lost to the Sixers on New Year's Day or on Christmas Day. Um, the biggest surprise has got to be the Heat. 
who, I mean, it, it's a separation of three games between the Sixers and the Heat, but they're insane. Jimmy Butler, you seem, it seemed like he was just going off to have a Miami vacation, and he's 18-1 and one at home, and they're right now the two seed in the East, a half a game up on the Celts. Uh, so, you know, I mean, we'll see if he keeps it up there. They're a team who are actually scoring a ton of points, and, you know, it's a team that on paper – you didn't. You weren't sure if they were going to be this good or not. Uh, defensively, they could be a little bit better. They're one of the one of the stranger teams to bet on if you are a basketball better. Uh, I've been burned a little too much, so I've uh, steered away from the NBA bets. But uh, sometimes I like to dabble in the overs. Miami can be fun that way because defensively they're not awesome. Over in the West, though, um, the Clippers are in fourth, and their team who. I think they're they're really good. They're really fun to watch, actually. Uh, they've beaten the Lakers twice. Lakers are number one right now. The fighting LeBron in ADs, um, and I don't know. It's going to be really crazy to see how this all goes. You know, we're hitting now. A number of teams have have played their respective forty first, forty second games. So we've hit the halfway mark. So second half of the year. Post All Star break, which is a month away, we'll see what what everything goes. Obviously, both the NBA and the NHL are about a month away from their respective trade deadlines, so those are going to be absolutely insane to see how those things get uh, get really developed. The NBA gets a little crazier too because there's the buyout market and all that stuff. So I got to try to have third and girl on my fiance Emily. Should, we can talk about this, try to break it down a little more. Uh, but I want, really wanted to try to jump into that quick. Um, starting to get a little more into college basketball. Don't feel comfortable enough to talk about it on the podcast, but stay tuned for that. Maddie D and I will probably start to uh, incorporate that a little bit more as football winds down and uh, we get closer and closer to March Madness. Next thing I wanted to talk about is Survivor Season 40, Winners at War. For those that don't know, I've become a very big Survivor fan since meeting my lovely fiance Emily. She got me into it on our third date, the premiere of season 31, Second Chances. And now I've become a pretty big fan. Played in, in Survivor Philadelphia. For those that follow me on social media, I've seen that. And Survivor's now at its 40th season. All winners. First time they've done that. The most winners they've ever brought back, obviously. Uh, including the winner of season 31, Jeremy Collins, who's one of my favorites. And, yeah, I just wanted to talk to you guys about this. If you're a fan of Survivor, you're just as excited as I am, I'm, I'm sure. If you're not, you might want to skip ahead a couple minutes. But I'm going to try to tr- to convince you to watch this because I started with an all-star season. Season 31 was called Second Chances. It was players who had only played once, and they were brought back for a second chance. There was a fan vote, which was before you know me being you know my time of watching the show. But... It because these players and to try to explain it for those uninitiated, those who don't watch the show, new player seasons are a lot of fun because you get a lot of the story of who these people are, where they come from, how do they fit into this society that they're trying to build in. That's sort of always the premise when they talk about the different, you know, in a new season, they're 16, 18, 20 strangers building a society. They need to conform or they'll be voted out or however it ends up working out and seeing that and seeing how that develops and seeing them survive. The all-star seasons 
They're the big personalities. Their ego's trying to fight for screen time. So you get some entertainment there. And you get a lot and a lot of strategy. And if you're someone like me who likes to see how people think and how different different moving parts can come together to execute a plan, this is going to be a master class of that because you have some of the greatest names in the history of the show, and that's including Robin Amber. There's some people that you may have watched Survivor All-Stars. That Robin Amber... Amber, who won. It's the first time she's playing since then. Same with a guy by the name of Ethan Zahn, who won season three. Season 40, he won season three. And Boston Rob. They're all playing. Sandra Diaz-Twine, who won twice. She won season seven. And season 20, Heroes versus Villains. The previous gold standard in terms of returnee seasons in season 20. You got guys like Tony Vlacos, who if you have time to watch a full season... That might be the one to check out. It, it only features two people that are returning to this, him and, and a woman by the name of Sarah Lucina, who is the, as she put in her interview, the reigning female champion because she won in season 34, and that's the last time that a woman has won Survivor. Um, but Tony, who won season 28, Kageyan, is such a fun TV character. And... I don't know, you can just go YouTube him, Tony from Survivor, Tony speaking llama, all this different stuff. He may not be this over the top in this new season, but he's going to be entertaining. And it's it's just going to be a ton of fun. And on top of having all these different players, you have a lot of different fan favorites. You have the queen, Sandra, we talked. You have Parvati Shallow, who's a lot of... When a lot of female players come onto the show, they cite who do they want to play the most like. They say Parvati. You have geniuses like Sophie Clark. You have masters of strategy like Kim Spradlin. You have Tyson Apostle, who's one of the most entertaining people out there. He hosts a podcast called News AF over on the Rob Has a Podcast Network. And it's all a ton of fun. And one guy I'm forgetting to talk about, and I gotta mention him, is my boy Wendell Holland, who's from Philadelphia. He won season 38, or season 36, excuse me, Ghost Island. We played together in Survivor Philadelphia. He is the man. He is a very smart dude, and he is gonna have a ton of fun hosting, or he's gonna be hosting parties, and he's gonna have a ton of fun playing and getting to talk to us about what's going on. So. If you want to check it out, it premieres on February 12th. It's going to be incredible. Let me know if you're interested. Uh, leave some comments in the show. You know, leave a comment. Let me know who you're rooting for if you are a Survivor fan. But I had to talk about Survivor 40. The last thing, though, that I want to talk about, and it's gonna. this is a shorter episode. You can probably hear it a little bit in my voice that uh, it's starting to go a little bit. Talking for over 40 minutes will do that to you. But I did want to talk a little bit about the Oscars because I did talk about some... Uh, I talked about some movies in the last solo pod that I did and figured I should follow up on this. I have not seen every movie that's been nominated on on the Oscar spectrum. I've seen three of the ten that are nominated, or no, it's only nine, three of the nine that are nominated for Best Picture. I've seen The Irishman, Joker, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I do plan on seeing more of these movies. I really want to see Ford vs. Ferrari. I wanted to see that while I was in theaters and I missed it. Jojo Rabbit I've heard isn't 
awesome, and Taika Waititi has been incredible. Um, Little Women, I've heard, is really good, and I, I do want to go check that out. I know there's been you know people complaining that men aren't seeing it, even though I think you know the book and the and the movie. I don't, I don't think it's were made for men, and I don't think the movie. I don't think it was designed to be made for men, but I've heard it's very good, and I want to go see it. Um, I know a lot of people are upset, too, that Greta Gerwig was not nominated for Best Director. I cannot comment because I haven't seen the movie, but, um, yeah, I don't know who she gets, who she would bump there. Maybe Todd Phillips for Joker, which I'll talk about in a second. I do really want to see Parasite. Everybody's talking about this, this movie. It is a foreign-language film. It's from Korea. Um... People have been raving about this thing, though. It did great in the Golden Globes, which I know isn't always the best barometer for the Oscars. Uh, you saw Aquafina win for Best Supporting Actress there. Um, so I got to go check this movie out. I've heard it's awesome. If you've seen it, please let me know. Shoot me a DM at Jordo9, either on Twitter or Instagram. Um, uh, but I'll talk about the, the, the Irishman, I think, has been talked about ad nauseum, especially towards Christmas because you know it came out on Netflix and everything. I do, um, but I want to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood quick and then talk about all the Joker stuff. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, though, you're seeing that the big names all get nominated um, with Leo and Brad Pitt both getting nominated for Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor. Margot Robbie not getting nominated for Supporting Actress for this movie, but she did for Bombshell, um, which if you've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you probably understand why she doesn't get nominated because uh, she plays Mar- she plays Sharon Tate, uh, who the movie is based around the time of the true story of the the Manson family murders, and it gets all around there. And it's a really fun movie to watch. And Leo plays this this guy named Rick Dalton, who's this aging John Wayne type old cowboy actor who's looking for you know different roles and different becoming a you know a different different type of actor, a different stage of his career and Bat, Brad Pitt plays his stuntman who you know there's all this different stuff that's going on and and if you're a big Tarantino fan, it was a lot of fun and it's a it's a good couple hours. I would suggest checking out some of the some of the story of the Tate murders and what you know the time of that this is all based around. I did not before I saw the movie left entertained but a little confused read about that and, and it really made me appreciate the movie a little bit more so that, that would be my suggestion to you now t- now talk about joker um obviously it's a movie about the joker and sort of the origin story of him and it's played by joaquin phoenix and um you know there there's a lot of controversy when it got released of you know who is this movie made for and guy you know it's what what was it doing with mental health how was it portraying it and this movie is dark it is. It's really good, but it's dark, and uh, you got to definitely prepare yourself with it. I watched that movie after an Eagles game, and came out of it really just kind of just feeling a little pensive, really thinking, think about some stuff. Um, it's you know it picks a lot of uh, bits and pieces from a lot of Martin Scorsese movies, which. He even made the comment that he had not seen it because he had already made the movie. Um, I don't want to ruin anything for you, but it really just shows the the way that this guy, Arthur Fleck, who's the character Joaquin Phoenix plays, how he devolves into Joker. And 
it's kind of crazy and it's a really weird reflection of you know the of the time and age it's supposed to take place in the 80s in a it's in gotham but it's you know basically supposed to be manhattan um and in the bronx apparently uh you know the the bronx stairs that are that that the the dance scene was shot on um I believe it's Taco Bell is giving out free tacos to to the the residents because of different uh, tourists coming to come to come see these sta- stairs that he comes and dances down. But yeah, the fact that it's leading the way with eleven nominees is pretty crazy. You know, I'm not you know, I I'm not the best at at depicting what you know best director versus a best picture and all that sort of stuff. Um, especially with, you know, how, how the movies went, you know, Todd Phillips getting nominated. Joaquin Phoenix does a really good job and I'm sure he deserves a nomination. I'm, you know, it's crazy to see him up there. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's getting a lot of other stuff too, of getting, you know, best adapted screenplay and, and a lot of other things. Um, especially because it's designed in, to be a standalone movie. You know, there's all the stuff with Jared Leto and his Joker and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, it's it's a crazy movie. If you've seen it, let me know what you thought about it because I thought it was incredibly dark. Um, with some of the other movies, though, that were nominated, don't really plan on seeing Richard Jewell. I know Kathy Bates got nominated for that. Don't really plan on seeing Bombshell. I heard that was kind of an amp movie. I heard Margot Robbie's great, though, so good for her for getting nominated. Same with the Judy Garland movie. I heard Renee Zellweger's really good in it, but don't really plan on seeing it. Um, Marriage Story, I didn't mention that. That's also up there with uh, you know Best Picture, and, and it has both Best Actor and Best Actress, and for Adam Driver and ScarJo. Um, yeah, probably maybe I'll end up seeing that. that. That's probably a little bit further down on my list. Same with 1917, World War One movie. Maybe I'll check that out. Maybe maybe after the Oscars. Maybe if it does well, uh, I've you know, I've heard it's done. It's it's pretty good, but you know it's not really up there on movies I'm dying to go see. But yeah, let me know what you guys think of the Oscars and the, and the nominations. Rather, uh, they moved up when the Oscars are going to be. It's going to be in earlier February uh, than usual. I, I think that's maybe to try to. I'm not sure why, uh, but you know it, you know the Oscars are they're they're always one to keep an eye out on is what I always think of there, but that's going to do it for this week's episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you guys supporting. Uh, I'm sorry that I've been under the weather. I'm sure you guys can hear it a little bit in my voice, like I mentioned. So that's why it's a little shorter. We'll come back next week, you know, either Sunday night or Monday night because it is Martin Luther King day, of course. So have a good long weekend. Uh, Talk some golf, talk some NFC and AFC championship, maybe a little hockey, maybe a little b-ball. Who knows? We'll we'll come up with some stuff to talk about. Uh, Matty D has said he's going to make his triumphant 2020 debut next week, so that's you got that to look forward to. Obviously, we'll have Greg back, and you know, make sure you go follow us, go give us a like, share, subscribe, a five star review. Search the bullpen cart on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. Bull, uh, the bullpen cart on. On those platforms, Thunderblog Sports on Instagram and Facebook, ThunderBLG on Twitter. Have a great weekend, everybody. Go Flyers, go Sixers, and let's go Phils.